What's going on, everybody? And welcome to Positively Chaotic. If this is your first time joining us, make sure to subscribe to the Positively Chaotic channel on YouTube. And if you're listening, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This week, we have the very charming and dapper Frederick Eklund on the show. We talked about the blessing and the curse of his positively chaotic lifestyle and so much more. If this inspires you, go ahead and share it with a friend or family member and let us know what you think. And if there's somebody that you would love to hear on the podcast, go ahead, send me a message, tag me on Instagram and let me know. Okay, here we go, guys. Frederick Eklund is a massively successful real estate broker, reality star, entrepreneur, author, rosé connoisseur and father of those beautiful twins. Frederick is known for making record-breaking sales on Bravo's million-dollar listing New York, pretty good TV show, and as a co-founder of the Eklund Gomes team, Frederick has secured over, holy shit, $10 billion in residential sales and is a leader in the real estate industry. Frederick, I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. I'm excited to do this. My ego just went like this, bigger it, and bigger and bigger. It's, it's, <coughs> it's booming because it's well-deserved, my man. Welcome to the show, Freddie. How are you doing, my friend? Thank you. Thank you. I'm really good. How are I'm you? Incredible, man. You know, you and I have type A personalities where I feel like we're always incredible and we're always trying to find how the glass is half full, not half empty. And I feel like in a time like we're in right now, having that kind of mentality is contagious and we need to share it more and more. But how's life treating you? How are you, Derek and the twins, getting through everything right now? And what the hell's going on? Well, I wish I could turn the camera so you can see where I'm sitting in my new house. I just feel like I'm on a constant high here in uh, LA. I mean, the garden last night for the first time, actually, this is, we moved in here. We had this like candlelit, I don't know if you saw on Instagram, candlelit like uh, dinner, grilling in the garden, had some guests over, the pool was all lit up. And, you know, for you, you spoiled bastard, you take all of this for granted. You're sort of numbed out to this LA, California dream. But for me, having running around in New York for 16, 17 years, hustling in the winter uh, and like literally fighting with my fist. And then before that, growing up in cold, dark Sweden, this is all like a fantasy land to me. I wake up every morning and I'm just, uh, um, I'm just really grateful to be here and to talk to you and uh, work with people like yourself. I don't know if it's wrong that I can see this image, but I see you walking around your beautiful Bel Air home in a towel at sort of 7 a.m. Naked. Maybe no towel, just singing and feeling so happy that you are here. And you know something, I'm from London, born and raised, and I've been in LA 16 years, and I swear to God, there isn't a day that goes by that I'm not grateful for this lifestyle, the life we get to live, and I know exactly what you're going through, and I go through it every day. Does the high, does the high go it down, doesn't. or is it still, you're still, it, it, it doesn't, it right? It doesn't, and then, you know, when I watch this. You fall in love, and you're constantly, like, 
in love. Your heart will always it, beat, it right? It really is. And look, it's a bad time for the whole world. And New York's going to have a tough time because the weather's going to turn cold and it's going to be a hard thing for people to try and reacclimate themselves. But I feel as though COVID's kind of getting better and, and we're moving forward, not backwards. The numbers are going down. Um, but putting all of COVID aside. Do you hear today? Did you hear no, today? Big tell news. Me. Today, like literally, I think five minutes ago, Calif the ban, the sort of the two-week quarantine on California was removed for state of New York. I mean, this might not be so big for you, but for me, who's basically bi-coastal and working on both coasts and traveling back and forth, and I haven't been able to go there, I, I haven't even been able to film there for my show, today is a big day because I can like, I could in theory get on a plane later today and go straight back into New York. Oh, dude. Yes, I love that. Yeah, That's it was good just, news. It was officially removed from the list. Oh, I feel fantastic. really good. Fantastic. And we're waiting for that to happen here in California. We have to be off that list for 14 days and then the kids can go back to school. So we're all, we're all yes! hoping that happens. And that, that brings me to this amazing series you created uh, on YouTube for your twins, Freddie and Mila during this pandemic. It's cute, right? Honestly, so cute. Looks like a total blast. But I got to know, like, is it as fun to make as you made it look? And were your kids just in heaven? And do they love watching it? Like, daddy is a shitload of fun. So, like, how did that whole situation play out? I think I've always been like that with the kids. You know, Derek has the, my husband has the more strict role. He is definitely the one who says no. And which is good, which is really important that I can be like the big kid. I think anyone's ever known me and known me for a long time know that I'm a three-year-old inside and I'm actually exactly like I am on that, you know, little YouTube clips that we do at home. So I think the idea of the show came up to do what we do at home. And then during COVID, when I realized I can't put them into pre-K, you know, because the schools were closed and I was like, okay, I got to homeschool them like everybody else. Well, I thought what a great had a great time to spend with my own kids, actually teach them some of the magic that I hope that they can see, like I've been seeing through my life. Um, and we do all those graphics on the show. We add this like layer and dimension of magic and things pop up and snakes and, and butterflies. And I try to show them what I do for work, but make it really childish and fun and like a two and a half year old perspective. And, and then I hope some other parents can enjoy it. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, they're always asking me, where are you going when I'm going to work? I'm sure it's the same it for you when your kids were smaller. And I, I'm actually really grateful that my parents worked really hard when I was a kid, mm -hmm. because I think that created my work ethic and that created my sense of like, I want to be successful. And I always felt with my parents that they were important somehow. They were important, not because I so much because I loved them, of course, but they also were important because they worked and they loved what they were doing for a living. So I, I think I want to infuse that with them and, but in a fun way. So I'm bringing them to work is what I'm saying, in other words. And I'm telling them like, that is gonna go to work now. And they know that I'm going to show these big houses. And the last thing I'll say about this show is that, I mean, it's not even a show. It's just like little YouTube clips of us playing basically, but is that it wouldn't work unless we all, the three of us had a lot of fun doing it. To answer your question, if they love it, they of course love it. And they're asking me, when are we gonna do it again? They like to watch it. And the moment I feel like they're not interested or not excited to do it, then, you know, the whole thing fa falls flat and I will stop it right away because I that would be basically, you know, pushing them to do something that they don't want to do for TV and that would be horrible. There's so, no way they're never going to just stop enjoying it. It's too much fun. You, you take our job 
and you show these beautiful twins how much fun it can be, A, for daddy to go to work, and B, you're kind of like creating, I think, a web series that's fun for even parents to watch because it gives the parents a great idea of how they can involve their children at their workplace or just having fun in general. And we're at a time right now where a lot of parents are running out of patience. They're running out of everything. And I thought that it was just perfectly placed and timed and it put a huge Thank smile you. on my face and my wife so great job with that Thank you. and that's a, that's a good point because as you probably with smaller kids back in the days you were also watching a lot of YouTube yeah. I mean now I'm introduced to all of these kids uh, shows and these stars and they're great you know my kids love them Blippi is one Blippi is probably the biggest YouTube star for kids yeah. and I have to watch it and it's not like I hate him <laughs> but it's not really that interesting to me. So I thought like maybe this idea that I'm doing can, the kids can love it, but the parents, to your point, can actually, because I have to pick what my kids are watching. I'm not going to let them see a horror movie. You know, I have to sit through it a lot of the time. So hopefully this idea is something that the, the parents will watch with their I, kids. I yes. loved it, mate. Congratulations. And I, I've got so much to talk to you about because researching Let's you talk. is a really... Can I ask you questions in a, this you format? You can ask me whatever you want. That's, yes. Frederick, when, when did we meet, actually? When did we meet? I don't remember the first time we actually met. No, it's, it's, it's so funny when you, f I always say this, like when you film a show like this together and now we're on different formats, but we have filmed together and you know, in the future we might film more together. I always feel like, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe you can recognize what I'm saying. It's like, it almost feels like you've known each other for a lifetime because we couldn't be more different, all of us on the show, but we have something in common that is hard to explain yeah. and hard to describe. And we live in this sort of, you know, reality TV universe where the lines are really blurred because they're actually, it's a real show and it's a re the reality of filming what we're doing for, for work in our personal lives. But there's a camera there and then going on for years in the multiple season. And I, I, you know, I have to say, I love it. And I've been so grateful to the network and everybody involved, but with the other cast members like yourself, it's 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 like ten of us in the world that knows what this is like, and nobody. Else, so I feel like you're all my family in a way. Although sometimes we <laughs> I totally agree. I mean, this is a crazy show. We shoot it for eleven months a year, and only the cast know how much work truly goes into this. And I I totally know what you mean. I kind of knew you before I knew you. Um, and exactly. now here you are living in Los Angeles. And it's so funny because researching you for the segment today, I realized we have even more in common. And that's sort of, oh, you know, really? you, you hustled from such a, a young age. You've led this kind of unbelievable and almost fantastical life. You founded this tech company at the age of 24. You worked at this investment bank in Stockholm and London and Singapore and Tokyo. And then I researched that you were selling paninis uh, in front of the David Letterman show in New York and now today here you are a leader in the real estate industry you got your own rosé line you got your children's show on YouTube I have to wonder like did you ever imagine that this would be your life growing up as a young boy in Sweden I mean yes and no I of course I didn't imagine being here in Bel Air and and you know selling real estate but I do think I was always the kind of little boy that was never gonna follow what everybody else was doing in in Stockholm and in Sweden, and I think that's because it sounds so beautiful and amazing when you're when you're ranting on on my my life, but you know it's a little bit of a curse too. 
And I think it's a blessing and a curse because as, as really young, I felt different. And I felt, I mean, we all do, but I felt like, geez, like the world is so big and I, I want to see so much and I have a different kind of energy level maybe than my peers. And I, I felt almost kind of trapped, not so much within my own family, but within the town I was living. And I just had the eyes on the world. And that sounds great, but when you're like five years old and you realize, you know, you have this family, you're set with this city and you're set with this country and you're, you're, you're going to do what everybody else is going to do. That's a hard thing. And then it took, you know, a lifetime, basically, to your point, to kind of hustle and bustle and try to get where I am today or have been for the last few years. Even get to New York was very difficult and having my eyes set on that life. Uh, and it was, it was a, took a long, took decades really until I felt like, okay, I made it or I'm successful. And I never, during all of that time, although it was exciting to grow and live and fight, I never felt like people were saying to me like, oh, you're so successful. I mean, you, you, you probably feel the same. Like we don't look ourselves as successful. I'm happy and I'm fulfilled, but I'm always stressed and I'm trying to, you know, juggle a thousand things and I'm always trying to get to the next point. So I think what I'm saying is, um, God, this journey has been a really long one and I wouldn't change for change for anything in the world. But there's also been a lot of growing pains and a lot of like. But the growing pains are know, what make us who we are today. But when you say it's a blessing and curse, do you? Chaotic, positively chaotic. There you go. But that, that's been. a great point. That's go. a great point. Are you saying it's a blessing and a curse because you always had these big expectations for yourself and you always wanted more? Are you saying like in a way, because this is something I feel. I'm never satisfied. I always want more. I'm always looking for the next best thing. And you were doing that even when you were five years old. Is that what you're kind of saying there? Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. I mean, listen, like I, I moved to New York to experience mm -hmm. that. And I was drawn to that energy. And then when I finally sort of had that big team in New York, I'm like, no, I'm going to expand. And now I'm here in LA. And I'm not saying, where do I, where do you go after LA? I don't know. But I think when I was, once again, when I was really young, um, I just had a hard time sitting still. I still, I'm, you know, I learned over the years to control myself. Yeah. And my energy today is actually a little more subdued. I don't know if it's the ashes and the weather, weather and the sort of clouds I see out of the sky. But I've always, for sitting like an hour like with you here is actually very difficult for me. And sometimes in a meeting, I start like almost twitching. Mm -hmm. I'm very, I thought at some point I had like um, on the spectrum of some sort of like, concentration thing but I don't think it's that it's more like a physical I always have to move and I always have to go and I always have to like I guess it's called like it's climbing in a way and the good thing about a family of course is that it really forces you to kind of slow down and it really forces you to ground to ground you a little bit and I have to say the last two and a half years and on top of that moving to LA it's definitely made me more you know, calmer. I love that. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I've been diagnosed with ADHD. I think as a kid, not I think, I was actually, believe it or not, diagnosed with mild Tourette's and I'm twitching my hands under the table and I'm kicking my feet and I can't sit still to save wait, my fucking that's life. So interesting. Don't worry about it. You're good. Wait, wait. So, so tell me, I want to talk about that. I've always been fascinated by Tourette's. I don't know why. So wait, you were like in a public, in a classroom and you would you just scream like that vagina and, and penis or, or worms well, or like I, the, how does it work the vagina part i scream in my head most days <laughs> okay. but i have to keep it inside <laughs> no i i had very mild Tourette, so i had several ticks 
Um, so I used to nod my head. Like In fact, I lived with David growing up as a child and we used to sit at the Friday night dinner table and David used to literally say words that would make my tics go off. And one of them was tongue. And I used to stick my tongue out like that. The other one was frown. I used to frown and then I used to nod my head and then I used to go like this and God knows what was going on as a child, but there was a lot going on. And even today, I mean, I, I don't believe I have that, but I'm still extremely ADHD today. But I think I use my ADHD to my absolute advantage now when it comes to work or my family or my kids. And with ADHD people, they seem to hyper-focus on things that they love and that they're interested in. So you think about my wife, my kids, my business, everything around me. I now get to choose what I want to hyper-focus on, whereas at school, I'll be honest, I fucking hated it. So I really had no interest in learning or becoming this academic student. I wanted to get out, make money, and work. Um, and, and, you know, that's a great thing, and I'm using it to my, to my advantage today. And I think probably so are you, uh, because you're in so many different places at once, living on different time zones, and it feeds into your hyperactivity yeah. of, like, trying to do more at all times i don't know if, if you find yourself doing that but that's that's what i find for me at least yeah my biggest enemy uh growing up was actually to i was always scared to be bored yeah. and it's not like i'm trying to say that i'm smart than anyone but i always felt like that was my enemy where yeah. i felt like either got stuck i felt stuck or i wasn't moving fast enough or i wasn't traveling enough or i wasn't getting enough out of my relationships and I, I was so afraid like I, I'd rather be overwhelmed and tired and lack of sleep and just living 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 um, we have this expression in in well it's a word I guess that you adapted uh, Americans adapted uh, smorgasbord What's that? Uh, but it's smorgasbord well when you have you go to a restaurant and you have um, lots of sandwiches like little I think you call it we, we call it smorgasbord <laughs> In Swedish. I've never heard of smorgasbord. Wait, smorgasbord? You guys, okay, anybody in the studio listening to me now? Any, anyone in the anybody audience? Anybody heard? I got several nods going on right now. I'm a Brit, so I'm useless here right now. Okay, but okay, uh, let me explain as a, uh, to you as a Brit then. Uh, it's a type of cuisine, I guess. In, it's come from Swedish or from Denmark, Sweden, Norway, yeah. I guess, Scandinavia, where Instead of like you have a big meal and a starter, you have all these beautiful sandwiches on little plates and you can come and you can eat like, let's say 15 of them and they're all different and you take them on, on, a, on, on your plate. Yeah. I always saw, and this doesn't make any sense, you don't know the word, so I'm making But I know what myself, you're saying. I, I think saw... we call it high tea, but yes, I got you. I'm following you. No, 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 no tea. No, but they bring lots the, of sandwiches. Is... Carry on. I don't want to. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, I saw life like a big smorgasbord table is basically what I'm trying to say. And I always said like, why well, only have one or two sandwiches when the world is this entire table and there's so many different tastes and so many different people to meet and cities to live in. I always felt like I was a citizen of the world and I really felt like, yeah, maybe I'll retire and die in Sweden, but I have so much to see and I have so much to do. And I felt like I was running out of time almost. Like I felt stressed when I was 18, 19, 20. I'm like, I'm still here kind of thing. So um, yeah. Have a sandwich for Big me. dreams. I'm going to keep eating sandwiches. I love it. And your first experience in the United States, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, was as a foreign exchange student now in Minnesota. So mm -hmm. I guess, did you sort of think when you were in Minnesota that that was the first seed for wanting to move to the US? Like, what, what was that like? 
Oh my God, that year was so crazy. No, the first seed, well, there was many different seeds, I guess. Uh, but the first, or, or the decision I would say to move here was I was eight and my dad took me and my brother to New York and he exchanged his um, business class tickets because he was invited to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, and he um, invited me and my brother, we went economy too, and we landed on JFK and we took the cab into the city and I'll never, ever, ever forget to the day I die. I'll never forget the, the taxi itself. The guy was driving, he was eating like a chicken wing, the reggae music, the heat, that humidity. I think it was like August or September or something, maybe July. And it was summer anyway, it was so hot, like so exotic. I, I mean, I don't know if you can get aroused when you're, when you're eight years old from just seeing the skyline, but I think I did and I, I was. and driving in and we drove through Times Square. Anyway, the whole thing was just like sensory overload. And I felt such a sense of, um, I have arrived. I mean, excitement that I could only maybe feel as a boy in like the amusement park, the whole freaking world turning to amusement park. And we were only there for like four days, but there were so many moments and incredible things happening, unfolding over that weekend that I ultimately decided then and there as an eight-year-old that I was going to come back and live there and I was going to be successful and I was going to be a real New Yorker. And that, that decision stuck with me for basically forever. And then it took a long time to actually get there. But yeah, that was the first, the first decision. I love it. Well, you've shown up today in a double-breasted blazer. You have that New York style vibe going on right now. Very Clark Kent looking good in California. Um, and there's, what are you wearing? I'm wearing a t-shirt, man. LA has clearly got to me. I'm in a t-shirt. This pandemic's got my hair all long. I got a beard. My wife's finally told me I look manly. It's all going on. And by the way, someone even told it. me I look like Bradley Cooper the other day, and I'm not going to let it go. But my wife. But you do, you you do, you do look really good. What's the what's the end goal with the hair? We're really like, not is, sure is over here. My wife just told me I'm the ugly version of Bradley Cooper. <laughs> so anyhow, I don't know if it's working or not, but I'm just going to keep growing it for right now and see where the hell it takes me. Um, I'm going to call you Bradley. You just from call now. me Bradley, baby, all the time. So again, all this mad research, you also, and, and it's interesting to me because I just knew none of this. And so I assume anybody listening hasn't gone as deep as researching kind of what you did and how you got to where you are today. But you were running a successful IT company at the height of the tech bubble in Sweden. You were 23 years old. Okay, I was partying and doing way too many drugs at 23. How did you get into that world? What lessons did you learn? Like, like how did that all come about, Freddie? I, I, I'm curious. No, I think it, it's, it started, I guess, talking about that blessing and a curse. Like I, I got into Stockholm School of Economics, which is arguably the best college in, in or school in, in, in Stockholm, in Sweden. It's very difficult to get into. And you have to have the best grades and yada, yada, yada. And I realized like right away, I don't want to be here. And it had a little bit to do with me trying to start to think that I should come out of the, out of the closet at that point. Um, I mean, the closet wasn't really big and I had just started thinking about this. I actually came out very late and I had lots of girlfriends at the time. Um, Playboy, I wasn't yeah. a Bradley Cooper, but, you know, <laughs> uh, yes. but the point is I, I really felt stuck again, like I have many times in my life. And I felt like, okay, so there's going to be four years of learning statistics. And my dad, who's an uh, economist in, in Stockholm, um, used to come and speak to us. And 
I love my dad. And if he listens to this, which I hope, um, he's had a wonderful life, but I could just see like, okay, so he is getting married to a woman, not my mom at the time. And he, you know, had us and he lives there in that apartment. And it's a, an amazing country. It's an amazing city. It's an amazing life. It's my dad. But I just felt like I want to live this big, crazy life. And I don't, I need to do something else. Anyway, I st- met a girl, uh, Maria, and we talked about starting an uh, internet company together. And to your point, this was in the sort of, I call it the bubble yes. in 1999. In Sweden, you have to remember, this was like Silicon Valley of the world at that time. You know, the, the cell phones like Ericsson and Nokia and yeah. all the technology, the Bluetooth came out of Stockholm in that area. The early technologies were all there and the internet companies were popping up like crazy. And there was so much venture capital to get. We actually, I remember, never forget, Marie and I took a, we bought like a student discounted ticket to Paris economy. And we went there and we got some venture capital and we came back and we sold like 30% of the company. And at the time when we had the business plan and got some money, I basically dropped school and, um, we started this company and it was super exciting and super stressful and I was way too young. And in the end, I think we had like 45 or 50 employees and we had a lot of big people on the board and all the covers of all the magazine, business magazines in Sweden. And then, you know, the bubble popped. Yeah. And the dream, like the wake up was like, whoosh. right. Uh, no, but I learned a lot. I mean, endless, endless, endless. At that age to be sitting in those kind of boardrooms and, being interviewed like that and just leading the company. And I think most importantly, all the employees yeah. that I feel like I didn't have the leaders, the leadership uh, quality or assets that I should have had, but I was like their friend and I was, uh, you know, I just wanted everybody to be happy, mm-hmm. which resulted in them when we didn't have the product, the actual software done and we didn't have enough uh, VC money and everything started to look kind of dark. I got really stressed because I felt I had a real responsibility to all my employees. They had families, they had kids, and I, I took it on myself and my shoulders to sort of provide for all of these people. And it was it was a very difficult time. I had like a my, my first breakdown in my life. I just felt, I remember leaving the office and walking home to my big, lavish, you know, mega apartment at that time, being so young. And I was basically crying and, um, yeah, it was a real wake-up call when that whole thing fell apart. But the company still exists. It's smaller, and I think they're profitable. And, and um, yeah, I just didn't sell in time, and I just didn't get out in time. And it was um, it was quite a learning lesson. But it's an amazing thing because I personally feel that every failure I've had in my life, today I don't even look at them at failures. It's lessons, and then you grow from those failures. And I feel like everything I've done in my past has only made me who I am today, totally. you know, I, and, and that brings me to kind of the main question of the segment, which is what comes to mind for you as the moment where everything in life changed for you? I'm curious, was it then? Was there something else that happened in your life? Like, when did everything just kind of make sense and start to change for you and the vision became laser focused? There's so many of those moments. I think I gave you the one moving to New York or moving to the U.S., which is a big For one sure. when I was a kid. Um, I mean, listen, the boring answer maybe, which is the most beautiful answer, is the kids. Yeah. Um, and I do think... Not boring at all. This, yeah. it, it, no, but it changes all of us, right? It does. It changed you. It changed me. It changed. It changes everybody. But for me, um, how do I say this without sounding too... Um, 
soft or too like emotional. But for me, I think being gay and also the biggest sadness of me when I came out and telling my parents and my brother and my buddies and it wasn't really like the gay thing because who cares? Mm -hmm. Like Sweden is very open. It's very accepting. And so is New York. Like I never had an issue with it ever. Um, with clients, um, if anything, it gave me this sort of eccentric kind of colorfulness maybe mm -hmm. in a way in a very conservative industry like real estate was at the time when I started becoming successful. But it was always this notion that I wouldn't have a family. And that sounds crazy now looking at my children, but back then, you know, when you're young and the society was so different, it wasn't really something that you could do. I mean, you could have babies with a woman and then keep it like, you know, on the hush hush on the low, or maybe you could team up with a lesbian couple. And that's amazing. That's what my um, husband did with two women in London, you know, in, in the UK, and he has a beautiful son with them. And there's all these possibilities, but this sadness, within me that I could never have my own biological children and be open about it and be loving and like my parents were to me. That was always very sad. So I think when I had the kids, I mean, partly for selfish reasons, when I had them and I that sort of gap was removed between me and God or universe or, 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 or love, I guess, the ultimate sign of love, I it just changed me on a fundamental level. And I think ultimately to sort of bring it back, sorry, into a more of a business perspective. Not at it all. Did, this is great. Has made me, has me made me a lot more successful, a lot more laser focused. And I think within me, there's never any questioning anymore, hesitation on who I am or what my purpose is, because the kids have done that, and that also helps you as a business person. It helps you be more confident. It helps you not question things. And of course, the, the obvious things, it makes you a lot more efficient because there's no time thieves anymore trying to like, you know, carve out time out of your life. Totally. You've got a real sense of purpose today, right? You've got these yes, beautiful children, sure. but same, right? I grew up single mom. You know, I always was super hungry to make money, but I didn't really know what the purpose of it was. I didn't just want to be rich and fucking miserable. I wanted to actually be successful and happy. And here we are both with two children and it's like, we get up and go to work today and we know exactly why we're going to work today, who we're going to work for. And it's funny, it's the kids. Like, they are the bosses, they are the jefes, and, and they are the reason... The jefes? The jefes, it's Spanish for boss. But they are oh, they are the boss, awesome. right? And, and that's what motivates us every single day. And that was a lovely story. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that, mate. It, it means a lot. And, you know, when I think about your life, and we've both taken some really odd jobs right i've done some crazy shit in my time just to hustle yeah. and bustle and make money but you handing out paninis in front of the the david letterman show or whatever it is that you've done do you think it's those odd jobs from your early days that have contributed to who you have become today do you feel like that's sort of led you to where you are I think so. I mean, like all of those odd jobs, I always say, like, I think about that with my kids growing up in this like glamorous, beautiful environment. And I think it's really helpful to get out there, to be pushed out of there. You mentioned my my <clears throat> my my high school year as an exchange student in a Dinah high school in, in Minneapolis, yeah. in Minnesota. And I mean, listen, that's a very is a kind of a, a fancy area and you know my father knows some, knew somebody and we were able to stay in that amazing family and it was all great but how scary is that when you're 17 to be put in a different continent a different language 
a whole, I remember sitting the first day at, at the table there in the lunch cafeteria, whatever it's called. And I was like, I literally did not know anybody. And to build yourself or build, rebuild your identity, to be able to adapt, I think, to any kind of new job, even if it's like handing out paninis in, in, in New York, or if it's chopping onions like I did for a lot for restaurants when I was really ki- a really young kid uh, working in the back of the kitchen. Whatever it is, you know, it, it forces you to create social skills, of course, uh, but also you, I think, yes, you become more, um, it creates who you are and it becomes you more grateful later on. Because yeah. if you've done all of those sort of really, you know, basic tasks, um, you're going to, know what you want out of life it gives you character and it gives you personality which you then take on in this mad business what drew you to getting into real estate we haven't even talked really about real estate like how did everything happen there in new york for you you've had all of these crazy jobs in the past how did real estate come about how did that whole deal start well, I wish I had like, a, everyone always asks me like, how did you get into real estate? And I don't have like, that's, I should just make up a story to be a good storyteller, but <laughs> no, I don't I have love a good that. story. I, yeah. Basically, the truth is I just, I moved to New York, not really knowing what I wanted to do. It didn't really matter to me at the time. We were like five Swedish kids. I mean, we were 23, 22, but we were living in an apartment. We were so excited by life. Yeah. I like, I. I just, my heart was beating, just walking down like 8th Avenue. And, um, but I didn't have a plan is my point. So I was working as a bartender. I was handing out paninis because I had to, I had to make money somehow. $20 an hour. And they gave me a free sandwich, uh, for lunch. And someone just told me like, try to, you should try real estate. Um, and I had sold and bought a couple of apartments myself back home in Sweden with brokers, of course, but I had no real experience. I had no Rolodex. I didn't know anybody. And it just seemed like such an absurd absurdity to like not only be licensed as a real estate agent, but for me, this like kid from Sweden who didn't know anything. I mean, I knew New York from the movies and maybe I knew like the, what it looked like outside David Letterman, but I have no idea of the neighborhoods, the streets, the history, you know, like I remember sitting in, do you remember the old cabs in New York, yeah. like the yellow cabs? Yeah, of course. They had that like map of New York stapled to the, the the partition wall between you and the driver. And I used to sit there, like I used to take the cab basically, this is before the internet, you have to understand, I'm, that's how old I am. And I had to study like, oh, the West Village, oh, Nolita, NoHo. And I didn't really, that's, and it, sometimes I took, I took, uh, clients in the damn cab so we were going somewhere so I could study and be like basically fake it till you make it in the cab and say to the to the client oh like Chelsea is great it's on the left side as we're driving <laughs> yep. up you know <laughs> so anywho like it was just it was just really really exciting and once again super scary uh, and that's how the whole thing got started I yeah. just got my license I found it on Craigslist a little brokerage and I, I did my first deal and the rest is history. I love it, dude. And there doesn't always have to be like a big glamorous story to a question. I often get asked questions like, you know, about sales. It's like sales either comes to you or it doesn't. There's no glamorous book that I read that kind of just taught me absolutely everything I needed to know. It's like you either have it in you or you learn it from somebody. And it's like there doesn't always have to be a story. But I am curious looking back at you. Wait, wait can I insert? Yes. Can I insert myself? Please. I have to say. Oh. I guess someone's calling me. I have to say, 
That's your front Sorry, door. Look at that. Sword. He's got buttons on his yeah, phone that's... at home. He doesn't even know what they do. <laughs> Say no, it. No, that's the gate. I, that's, I never had a gate like that before. That's the <laughs> gate. Someone is at the gate. And Love then it. There's multiple, <laughs> there's multiple phones in the home where I can open the gate. Look at that. Somebody Love it. No, what I was going to say is you're very, very good at what you do. And it's a, it's been a real pleasure and a blessing. I'm not trying to, you know, um, BS you. You are very, very good at what you do. And I think maybe that answers your next question. I don't know. What, what, why I think you're so good is because you actually really care. Mm. And I actually think I really care too. And what I mean by that, like you actually take it, it's an important job. And it's really difficult, uh, a difficult job, but it's actually really, really important. Yes, the money is great. The commissions are good. Mm. But I can just hear in your voice, having just done this big transaction with you, that you actually really care about your client. And you actually care about my client, although your fiduciary duty is to, to your client, and you care about me. And I think I'm the same way, that when you transact with you, with you or hopefully me, that you feel like there's a real emotional um, investment sure. on your part. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is that's a real key of success. I agree. And and first and foremost, that means a lot. So thank you. And I appreciate the kind words and right back at you as well. And I think we're in a service industry, whether it's real estate or sales, really any sales business, everybody should leave a transaction happy and feeling good. And when you're buying a home, which is usually the most expensive transaction of your life, even more reason, everybody should walk away feeling good. So I am passionate and I see that with you. And the one thing, and not that we're going to exchange compliments here, but I will say for you. No, I thought that was the, I thought that the podcast was all about. We can do that. But but the one thing I'll say to you, and and it's very, it's a very important trait, is you might have Mm. 25 things going on at once. But when I'm on the phone with you or I'm in a meeting with you or I'm with your client, it feels like that is exactly what you're focused on 110% at that moment. And I think that is the key to success because, you know, we're in a very personable business and you have to give people that time and they have to feel that care and emotion. And I think you're great at it. And I've said it before, happy you're here. Thank you. And I have to say on that note, because I agree with you, and I think the last few years in New York, and I still go to New York, and now when the quarantine is gone, I'm going to go there more. But I think I was so dependent on my mega team. Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, sort of an army of agents and assistants, and which is great on a different level, but I became more and more a manager and I became more and more, um, I was a new development specialist and I was running between um, meetings and architect design meetings. But I, I really missed sort of back to my roots where I could do exactly what you and I are talking about now to, to care yeah. and to be like in the moment with whomever it was. And sometimes we have to be the therapist and sometimes we have to be, you know, all of these different roles. And I miss that. And what's so beautiful about being here in LA the last year is that I am, when you hire me, you get me. Well, you do get you do get my assistant, Victor, who you dealt with who a lot. Who is the best, uh, by the way. I love Victor. Who is, he, yes. We're not going to disclose his last name because I don't want anybody to hire him. But he is a, he's, he's a godsend. And... No, but it's it's really refreshing to be back like in the in the boots on the ground, like in the trenches, like I'm a real estate agent. Yep. I mean, yes, I'm a team leader and I have this great team, but it's really me. And that's also been kind of scary. Yep. It's like back on my shoulders again now. But it's great. And you're you're smashing it yeah. in LA and you only just got here. So I, I'm delighted. But I, I am curious because I you. came up with this positively chaotic title, right? And I discussed mm-hmm. this with you. It's all about for me 
figuring out people's journey. Where did they start? How did they get where they are today? And I'm curious with everybody sort of looking back, what was the most chaotic time or moment in Freddie's life that you were able to transform into a positive experience? I mean, every day is so freaking chaotic. I mean, I would hope it's positive. I mean, just now getting up to this, <laughs> getting up to this room to do this podcast with you, you have no idea what's happening downstairs. We just got this big dog who is a monster. He's a, he's already like a horse, but he's only five, five, five uh, months old and he's going to be double. The kids are trying to get to school. They just started pre-K, but the only time slot the school had was basically right when they're napping. Yeah. And you know, with kids, like they're on a schedule. So basically they have no time to nap anymore. So they're crying. I'm trying to help them get dressed. Then Jenny is here on my team and Victor is here working. My husband is flustered trying to lock himself into the um, studio because I decided we're going to go to Tahiti for the week and just me and him to get away from all of this positive chaos. So I'm trying to book the tickets to business class, which is only two left with Air Tahiti, but I call the wrong airline. I call American Airlines. This is like literally in the, the gate because the, the, tur the, what is it called? The guy who kills the ants, the insects, what's his name? The exterminator. Yes. He's here now trying, I mean, this could be Amazon. This could be something else. And then I have, you know, Thank God I have a couple of nannies, but I'm taking them out tonight. Don't tell me where I'm taking them to the Bel Air Hotel. And I've never done anything like this. I'm taking my two nannies on a date at 6 p.m. super early. And I bought them these huge roses because Aww. they worked with us one year in LA. And I really wanted to celebrate them because nobody ever really thanks them like the way I want them. And they deserve to be thanked. So today is a complete chaos. Um, Love this. But it's all positive. And... Um, Sorry, I just went on a real, I think I had to ventilate. Dude, I I'm keeping coming rant. because here's the key to all of that. Before you just completely let it all out, we would never have known anything was going on except you were dedicating <laughs> you think, your time to this podcast. So I think that's why the surface on my always has to be so controlled. Like this, you see this hair. Hair's flying, man. And You're looking it's good. All, it's, it's all just a big facade of the positive chaos that's going on inside that's here. what i love and i know you've just given me like a great example on the surface type of situations but that is it it's like we're dealing with so yeah. many different things not just you or i but all of us and it's how we turn all of that chaos into something positive and where it takes us and like balance for us as real estate agents as fathers you're working in two different time zones like how the hell do you find calmness in the chaos? There, there, there's got to be, is that going to Tahiti? No meditation. Ah. Well, yes, I do work really hard and then I do play hard. Or I have this thing where, I don't know, I've always been obsessed with beaches and I've always been obsessed with palm trees. In my little boy's room in like wintry, cold, dark suburbs of Stockholm, my whole walls were plastered with these um, posters of... I think it was Maldives or something like that. That was the ultimate sort of exotic escape for me. Uh, New York was another one, but this was... So whenever I feel like this chaotic, I sneak away. And I do a very short, like two, three, four days. I go to Mexico a lot for some weekends. And I guess I do, yes, I have the luxury to do that because I have nannies and I can afford it. Um, but that's when I find walking on the beach, listening to like the old 80s Swedish pop music that I, I like and... Uh, sexifying with my husband, yep. um, drinking some, you know, a lot of 
tequila and just relaxing. That's important. But I do meditate. I have to say that. And for anybody who's watching, I know people that talk about meditation. They're so annoying because it's like they think that they have the secret to life and they're telling you to start meditating. And when you don't, you don't want to hear about it. But I'm That's just going to say it. I yes. do it. Keep going. I want to hear it. Okay, so you don't meditate. you don't I meditate. can't sit still for eight seconds, let alone but meditate. But that's when you need it the most. Yes. And you're so like spiritually and, and, and you know, you're so emotionally advanced. I, it's kind of strange to me that you don't. But the good news is that after this podcast, you are all who isn't going to try. Um, it's like 13 to 15 minutes on like Insight Timer or something like that, an app that's free. Mm-hmm. And you all you need to do is sit and listen. You don't have to do a single thing. Yeah. And I'm telling you, if I don't do it, I actually, then the positive chaos becomes a negative chaos. Love and it. that's the real, because you're asking me what moment, it's really every morning when I do that. And there's been times, because I'm human, where I don't do it for a couple of weeks and I go absolutely insane. If I rewatch like an interview like this, if I wouldn't have meditated mm-hmm. this morning, it wouldn't come off hopefully as, as nice as I am now, because it just, it does calm you and it does give you, it's like the brain just like, gets a massage and, and breathes and it just, everything becomes... God, my brain needs a fucking massage. I think I'm going to try it tomorrow morning. It sounds great. I'm going to send you the link. I'm oh, going to send you the amazing. link. Can you promise me? I, and then you're going to text me right, at, text me right no, after you're done. I, you're I, going to promise I will me that. Absolutely, I will absolutely give it a turn because I, I got to tell you, I you sound very calm and lethargic. And after all the shit you got going on in the background, it's pretty, pretty commendable. And let me ask you on that note, what piece of advice, you know, you have your ways, but what piece of advice would you give to a very career-oriented person who wants to become a parent. Not in real estate, we all know your answer there, but to someone that's super career-oriented and they want to become a parent, what is your advice today being that you've now done it? I think, uh, I mean, there's different levels of advice. I think the only advice you can give to anybody becoming a parent is, I call it the death of ego. Yeah. This is not maybe so much a business advice to be more successful. Actually, maybe it is. You know, I think that becoming a parent is the scariest thing ever because what makes you you, or at least what you thought made you you, like how how much you travel, how much money you make, how much like, you know, great clothing you wear or how good you look with the gym or how much family time with your friends you're all of that is going to literally be turned upside down i mean not forever but at least for the i would say two years and thank god i'm out of it now until we have another yeah. one Ooh, um, is there another one coming but no comment love that but yes. uh, but uh, all of that is rearranged it's like someone goes into your brain and heart and maybe it's more heart and there's the <laughs> rearranges everything and that is my best advice. Like you have to be open for that to happen. It's like a Rubik's cube, whatever it's called. And you just, all the co- those colors are gonna, and you just have to be open to that process and do it. And I, to me, it's gonna make you more successful, totally. but you're not gonna think in the beginning, part of that rearrangement is that you think you're gonna lose everything. You're gonna lose all your friends. You're gonna look like shit. You're, you're gonna get fat. You're not gonna make any money. You're gonna be boring. You're not gonna travel. You're not gonna have any sex. You're gonna fall out of love. 
all of those things. Is, I mean, am I being too dramatic? No, I'm just thinking like 10 years later in my marriage, I'm all of those things. <laughs> I'm joking. I actually so relate because it's like I'm so OCD and so structured. And if there's one thing when kids come along, you can throw out your structure because you have yeah. nothing. They are so unpredictable. Um, and, I, and I so hear what you're saying. And it's so true. And by the way, 10 years later, my marriage has actually never been better so um, i'm delighted and wow. i would love to see you have a third child did you get did you get lucky last I night i didn't get lucky last night but i've been getting lucky a lot and i think it's the beard and the long hair anyhow frederick the time has come to wrap things up i know you have a busy day okay. ahead of you at the end of yes. every episode we close things out with a little segment called chaotic questions with james freddie are you ready I love it. I'm ready. I'm, is it short answers? Boom, like, boom, boom. What room in your house okay, do you I'm ready. spend the most time in? My bedroom. Oh, yes, you do. What are you currently learning? I'm currently learning about supplements. I'm reading this amazing book from Ben Greenfield. I don't know if you know who he is, but it's a New York Times bestseller, and it's really fascinating. He believes you can live forever. Fuck yeah. We all can if you treat your body with respect and add on some the right vitamins and, and minerals. Et I love that. I'm on day two of my diet and it sucks, but thank you. I'm going to research him. And let me ask you, what motivates you today? My kids being happy. What piece of advice would you give your younger self? To relax a little bit, everything will be fine. You're good just the way you are. I love that, Frederick. And from the bottom of my heart, I love that. I can't thank you. I love you. For being a guest on the podcast. Where can people follow you and stay up to date with all of your current projects? Frederick Eklund NY. I should change that to Frederick Eklund NY LA. LA. Am Frederick, I Frederick Eklund everywhere. You're everywhere. Where the hell is Frederick Eklund? I should change it to. That's a good handle. Follow me at James Bond ST. Catch Million Dollar Listing Los Angeles on Bravo. To everybody watching, hit subscribe on YouTube. If you're listening, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe and listen anywhere you get your podcasts. Tell your friends, your neighbors, and anyone who would enjoy the Positively Chaotic podcast. Thanks for listening. Frederick, we love you. Thank you. Mwah. Thank you. I can't Mwah. thank you enough. Love you. 